Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Cathedral of St. James podcast. My name is Stephen Slabaugh, and I serve as the Director of Faith Formation at the Cathedral. The conversation you're about to listen to was led by Eliana Armenfelder on the topic of chronic homelessness and the call to serve Christ in all persons. Eliana works at Motels for Now, a Housing First program created in August 2020 that houses the chronically homeless in dignity and is helping many move into more long-term, month-to-month housing. This conversation was part of our Spring 2022 Adult Forum series on the Baptismal Covenant. During the series, we discussed how we're called to live out our faith in the world and the sacrament of baptism and how it impacts the way we live. In the Baptismal Covenant, we begin by professing our faith in the Triune God, remembering who we are and whose we are, and respond to that covenant by living as Jesus lived, according to the power of the Holy Spirit, participating in God's self-giving love for the world. We hope you enjoy the following conversation. Thanks for listening. I'm Mennonite and I'm very interested in ecumenism and experiencing different parts of the Christian tradition. Um, and um, verses like, or passages like this and passages like the Beatitudes, um, just, I've always just felt a sense of, of urgency related to those. And, and they are the, the passages that discomfort me and just make me want to do something. Um, and it, so eventually I ended up with a degree in social work. Um, and I worked at a couple different shelters. Um, one is a domestic violence shelter, but the rest have been low barrier shelters. I'm curious if anybody wants to take a guess at what a low barrier shelter is. If not, I can explain it, but I like to like. Low barrier. Aren't they the ones that we don't have to be, you, you can still be addicted to whatever and, and get admission to them? Yes, exactly. I like to, anytime I have new volunteers also, I, I try to figure out what people know and start from there. Um, so yeah, low barrier shelter, the idea is longer ago, shelters um, used the philosophy something called housing readiness. Um, so we're going to have the same rules as a lot of housing places have. And so if you can make it in a shelter, you'll be able to make it in housing. It'll be great. We'll prepare you. Well, that doesn't actually work. Um, that doesn't reduce homelessness because then the people who can't follow those rules mm-hmm. just stay on the street. I mean, it works for some people, but just that's not generally the people it works for also are able to self-resolve their time being homeless anyway because they have more resources they have more supports they have you know less barriers to overcome so the low barrier philosophy is really the idea that um and it's, it's also connected to housing first although to be truly housing first you'd have to have the resources to put people directly into housing which most places don't even though I would love to do that. Um, so low barriers, like the idea that shelter should be run, you can still be addicted to substances. You can still, you can have untreated mental illness. You don't need to be able to work. You don't need to attend certain meetings or classes when you're in the shelter. It's like, there are still gonna be so some rules. It's not 
no barrier because that would just be pure chaos. Um, but um, as long as you're not making the environment dangerous for other people um, around you, um, we want to make there be as, as few rules as, as we possibly can. Um, and um, there's actually a lot of pushback and stigma I've noticed about um, low barrier places. I had one <laughs> once I was in the laundry room of my apartment um, and someone walked in and she says, oh, you're the lady from the crack motel, aren't you? And I was like, well, probably yes. That sounds <laughs> like probably what you're thinking of. Probably crack yes. <laughs> Although crack is definitely not the drug of choice for the majority of, of our, our guests who use drugs. Um, but so that's just kind of a funnier example. She was happy to talk about things. But um, this idea that there's definitely a, a, an idea that like we're enabling people, we're... Um, just like basically like having a crack house. Um, but the thing is, um, when you're at the worst point in your life, which if, if you're on the street, you probably are, um, you're not going to be able to make those change, those really hard changes, like fighting addiction extremely hard and also you're not necessarily that motivated to like if you are living under a bridge and it's rainy outside what incentive do you have to not be high being high in that situation is like kind of a rational response it's not what's going to help you get out of that situation um but it's understandable why someone would want that especially if you're also there's a lot of people i work with who have really severe and persistent mental illness um, you know, and are maybe trying to use substances to just dull or avoid those really disturbing things that are going on in their head. Um, also, to be clear, <laughs> the people I'm working with are not representative samples of unhoused people. Um, the majority of people, their experience of homelessness is like two weeks or less, um, but they don't end up in low barrier shelters. They live in their car for a little bit. They couch surf a little bit. They, um, my dad's family was homeless for about six weeks at one point during his childhood. They camped in a campground. Um, and he didn't even realize that he was an adult that that was like what that had been because his parents had been like, oh, it's fine. We're just on vacation. Um, so that's the representative, or that's more, that's like 90 plus percent of people um, and their experience of homelessness. Um, but that's not who I work with. We work with people who've been homeless for a year or longer mm -hmm. who are considered chronically homeless. Um, and it's, I just think all the time about um, seeing Christ in the people I work with because they're people who are so stigmatized and so frequently punished and so frequently like looked down on. Um, you know, many have been in jail 
usually, again, for drug offenses, many have been cut off by their families. I'm not trying to demonize the families in this sometimes. Like, I get that sometimes you can't have someone live with you if they're, like, using and it's not safe or, you know, whatever. I'm not trying to say they're terrible. But they've just, they've been punished and told they're bad so, so many times um, that, I mean, just like we can all say, like, if you're, <laughs> what I tell my student volunteers is if you're in lecture and you need to pee, like, you're not going to focus on the lecture. So how much more can we say, like, if you are living on the street um, and you're trying to survive, you don't know where your next meal is going to come from. You don't know if you're going to stay dry um, that night. How are you going to focus on any of the things that you need to do to get out of that situation? And you can't, any of us, we can't get out of the worst part of our lives, usually, until someone shows us some love and support. Um, so that's, that's the point of what I do. Um, I think, and this has been shown to work better than like other, other shelter models. Um, I am I'm fortunate enough to um, work in a Catholic worker community, which I think is really cool because um, it's just a chance to, you know, have Christian community and, and have this be the, the foundation of our work, although the majority of my coworkers are not Catholic, but it's just, you know, a community where we can have these conversations. Um, this is a book um of some illustrations that have been in in the catholic worker publication um this is one called christ and the bread lines um and as you can see there's jesus this is these were mostly published during the depression so that's art style there's also other ones uh or there's another one called christ of the homeless which again has Jesus, you can, you're welcome to do these pictures later if you want. Um, but I guess some questions I, and I can talk more about the work I do, the challenges we face. It's definitely a work in progress, learning how to, to love people and serve them as Christ. Um, and, and, you know, it's, it's not a thing you arrive at. It's a thing you're always working on. So I can answer more questions about that. Um, but I also want to hear, um, well, your questions for me, but also um, I'd love to hear um, what times in your life someone has shown you unexpected love. And I mean, not to put people on the spot, because when everyone asks me, like, can you think of a time in your life when this, I'm like, who am I? Where am I? What's happening? <laughs> so not to put anyone on the spot. Um, but um, if you have, if you have examples of that, I'd really love to hear that. But I was gonna say, when we were in seminary, um, there, I don't think there was a seminarian there um, that didn't have a story of some time when, because, you know, grad, grad, grad school, money's tight, seminary money maybe even sort of more tight. Um, and the, the example that came to mind um, for me, well, okay, there were two of them. One, when we, um, 
we, we did in fact have health insurance, but we hadn't read the policy carefully as one does in grad school and discovered that the maternity benefit that we specifically made sure we had covered $1,000, that's <laughs> period. <laughs> um, so when we um, had an ultrasound early on to make sure nothing was wrong and discovered that that had used you know 75% of it, we contacted Bishop Gray, who was the bishop at that time, and our youngest son, um, we, we didn't have to go in debt, courtesy of many people in the diocese. Um, and it was primarily a response because um, Brian had been youth ministries coordinator for the diocese for six years before going to seminary, and it was largely parents of kids who had been in the, in the programs before. So, uh... I, can, I can think of lots of times. <laughs> you know, I mean, just one that I was like a couple years ago was... Um, we, uh, we bought this old house and we have one of these big like ceramic or porcelain bathtubs. Like they like, they chip a lot and you have to like redo them once in a while. And uh, we're like, we're going to do it. We're going to, you know, refinish the tub real quick. <laughs> and uh, someone came and did it. And it just like made our, like, the fumes oh, are, uh, you know, awful. So, you know, it's, it's like poison. I felt awful that we asked someone to do this um, afterwards, but it just filled the house and we're like, we can't stay here. Um, so we called, you know, the, the Warrens named Charissa Crane and Miles, can we come stay with you? <laughs> and we came for one night and then we went back and it still smelled awful. And we stayed for like two or three nights. Um, but just, you know, feeling like, well, I guess we can do a hotel, but, um, you know, that wasn't in the budget with this whole <laughs> tub, tub rate. So anyways, that, that was very, very generous. So we needed a place to stay. I worked at a camp when I was a kid, and I think that the, the deans of it were really amazing at showing the love of Christ. And um, they just had like a lot of policies. Like if, if a kid drops a tray, like you you just like take it away from it, somebody clean it up, and you immediately go and get them a new tray, you know, like so they just continue on with their record, you know, like they just had so many, so many great policies like that. She was like when you're cleaning the bathrooms and you're cleaning the toilet, like you have to think. What if a kid gets sick and I have to throw up in this toilet? Like, like yeah. think about that. Or just, just so many like great things. And they were also incredibly kind to me. I um, was a terrible driver, like really bad. It took me a long time to like understand cars and how they worked. And um, at that point, I would get to drive the golf cart around. And I totally backed it into someone's truck. <laughs> like it's so humiliating. Um, but they were really kind about how they like dealt with the situation. And the guy, you know, it's just like they couldn't get that fixed up. And you know, I was like privately kindly told, you know, more golf carts this And I just think they were like, I always think of them as like a lovely example of, of serving like Christ would serve. Um, I had, many of you know this story, but we have four children and I had difficult pregnancies and were mostly born early or I was on bed rest for an extended amount of time. And so for our third, Ainsley, when I was pregnant, I was on bed rest again at 32 weeks, but we had Abby, who was four-ish, almost five, and we had Anne, who was one, almost two, so two little people. And lot, lots of people, including people in this church, stepped up. But my aunt, who lives in Pennsylvania, dropped everything and came and lived with us for three weeks and said, I will take care of you. I will cook for your family. I will clean your house. And your job is to do what you need to do. So that was an incredible gift. So um, an experience I want to share, which isn't, I mean, this is 
not about me, but I think it illustrates sort of the ways that, that people have been treated and when somebody comes to um, to a low barrier shelter or to our shelter specifically, um, it's often very hard for them to believe that they're not gonna get in trouble for being addicted. Um, there's a, a woman um, who's who she was at the shelter her adult daughter also um had been her adult daughter went to stay with some some friends overnight um friends who she used with and died of an overdose she was 22 and like you know this past week it was and that was a couple weeks ago her mom um has overdosed a couple of times since then but I mean because she's been like we know where she is and we've sort of built enough trust in the community that people will come tell us when there's an overdose but you're not getting a person get them to the hospital they come back we try to get them to go to rehab then sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't um uh but um it was it was approaching the the daughter's birthday and um, her mom had, uh, shot up again. So they were using opioids, both of them, um, which is, the, I don't know if it's the thing I see the most, it's the thing I interact with the most commonly because it's the one that people are going to come for help with. Cause like, if they're smoking, like synthetic weed is another common one, but it, you don't have overdoses in the same way. So people aren't coming to us to get overdose traversed, people aren't um, coming to us to get like safe injection supplies. Like we just hear less about it, but with opioids, there's a lot of, I mean, that stuff's really bad for you too, but it's bad for you in a little bit longer term of a, of a way. Whereas like opioids can kill you within like a couple hours or faster sometimes. Um, and anyway, so she shot up um that <laughs> this i mean that means she 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 injected heroin slash fentanyl not really sure which it's usually a combination um and she came to us and she was like i'm really afraid i'm gonna die um but i like i'm falling asleep i can't keep myself awake um can you come check on me occasionally and i was like <laughs> I don't want to check in your five minutes. So I was like, why don't you just come to my office and I hang out there? Um, and so she like curled up in my office, brought some pillows and was sleeping. And I would just like, you know, a couple minutes while I was working on my stuff, I'd come, um, you know, go to her breathing. And um, it, it was it was fine. She wasn't overdosing. Um, and then periodically she would like wake up a little bit more and she would come and she would am I in trouble? Are you sure? Please be honest. Am I in trouble? And she was just so afraid. And this is like, you know, some of the worst things that can possibly happen have just happened to her. And, um, and she's just so used to like, um, being punished and be seen as even when like, clearly her life is out of control. And, 
a lot of things are going wrong and like she needs help in a very it's it's in like an emergency sort of way um but she's still used to being treated like a criminal like a, a bad person for um for those those sorts of things and that was just and you know i wasn't even like doing all that much i was just like you know you can sit over there and you can you can sleep in my office while i do paperwork like that's just like the most minor thing um but she just like people like yeah she just was she's not used to even even just even if you're not doing anything heroic just not punishing people for some people that's just so unexpected and better than they've you know been treated um before and she's in rehab now i mean who knows when she comes back will she relapse again will she stay sober i don't know um but we'll figure that out um figure that out then and um <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, a lot of people, if I can just give, add, I mean, you know, a lot of people think that helping someone, you know, who's in an addiction or in uh -huh. a really rough patch of life is like an act of mercy uh -huh. or charity. Uh -huh. um, but what I keep hearing and I really appreciate from people is that it's act of justice. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, whenever you're thinking about seeking and serving Christ in all persons, um, mm -hmm. You know, just thinking about that, you know, the end goal of this is that we're all, you know, we're raising every or we're raising every value, uh, yes. you know, lowering every mountain uh -huh. so that all people are uh, one. But um, yeah, anyways, I appreciate yeah. the, the story. Um, but, you know, in, in your case, you know, you weren't like, well, you know, I'll help you even though you don't deserve it. Right. Like yeah. some people think about mercy or charity. Uh -huh. um, it, it's more like, well, of course you deserve this. Uh -huh. You know, everyone deserves this. This is what yeah. justice looks like. So, and something that we've talked about a lot, um, staff, um, is like just the concept of deserving is not really a helpful mm -hmm. concept because it's just like it's not about what people deserve. It's about, I mean, even when we're enforcing rules, it's not about what people deserve. It's about what we need to do to keep the community safe. And, and similarly with like, with help, it's not about what you deserve, it's about what you need. And so many of, of us staff um, have, or, you know, we've just had those experiences. Um, <laughs> I don't obviously want to make any assumptions about people, but I have been um, just always given what I need. Um, eventually in one way or another um and and so i think it's very easy as a side i mean like i literally think it's a survival um reflex to to think um i mean so in social work school we talked about how like if if a child is abused often it's an easier thing to think that oh i must be bad and i must have brought this upon myself is an easier thing to think in your head than um the world is not safe my primary caregiver isn't necessarily safe and i can't stop bad things from happening to me it's actually like feels easier and safer to be like i must have done something wrong and therefore if i don't do that thing then i'll be safe um and i think that happens on a societal level too to think 
oh, the people who are suffering the most, they must have done something wrong um, to get in this position. Um, And um, so therefore it won't happen to be. And I mean, I'm not at all trying to say that like everyone I work with has always made the best possible life choices, but that's also true of everyone. Um, And it's sort of based on your environment, like, what those are going to be and what the consequences of that are going to be and how how much one um small sm- you know one small mistake has got to like spiral out of control and destroy your entire life um it's a lot based on your environment um homelessness is a totally optional problem on a societal level like it's not optional for the people in it but um most of our problems as a society and just like in the world especially at this point with the technology and everything we have um are really just because we haven't chosen to allocate resources correctly um and homelessness is for sure one of those things that just like we could fix it so fast if we wanted to it's just like not even hard we know exactly what we need to do we could do it we could it could be done in six months if we decided as a country to do that um and so it's just painful that we don't um something like something i've noticed also is like the more you are whatever you're in a situation and, and you start you start out um try you know from this this background of trying to serve and and seek and serve Christ in all people and love others as yourself. It's so easy also to see. It's it's not a it's not like a yes or no thing. It's it's something that um as you know you do one step and it's like oh but this is not this is not what I want for Christ. You know I want a better physical environment in the shelter. I want um Honestly, I want there to not be a shelter. I want everybody to go straight now because what I do personally is help people figure out. It is not the day to day running the shelter. That's what my coworkers do. But I work on like, what's the person's next step? How do I get you out of here and into whatever is right for you next? Usually, that's some kind of independent housing. Occasionally, it'll be like transitional housing or something like that, or like assisted living for older people. Um, but you know, I wish I could get people into that immediately. I wish I could. Um, there are some people who, there are three people there who I just like, I can't do anything for them because they're all in the sex offender registry. And so um, there's nothing they're eligible for, even if they had income, even if it's like murder rent, you know, there's just nothing. It's like, sorry, there's nothing I can do for you. Um, but even, even people who aren't in that situation, people who've had like a drug conviction and an eviction recently like there's only a few wait lists they can get on and therefore it's probably going to take them as much as a year to get something so I think like it's very it's very hard because um as much as we're trying I don't feel like um because we just don't have resources I don't feel like I'm at a place where I'm like this is how I want to serve Christ, you know, I want to, I want to be doing, I want to be giving them 
a better situation. Um, and of course, then there's a, just like the outright hostility of people around us. Um, some like local leaders have been very hostile. Um, we've had, um, we've been to like neighborhood meetings because they try to go to neighborhood meetings as staff and, and be like, hey, what are your concerns? Like, we want to address this. We don't want to just be like here and not contributing. We've had people be like, if people keep asking me for money, I'm going to cheat them. <coughs> Excuse me. Passing the phone my throat. Um, and <coughs> so, yeah, like really scary interactions. There is water in there. Yeah. 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 Oh, in the fridge? Oh, right there. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Um, And that's, I think, a uh, uh, cause of a lot of burnout. And, and that, that was another question I had is, where have there been times that you've tried to serve people um, and you know, you've done your best, but it just hasn't been what you wanted it to be? Because I think sometimes we can have these deep moral injuries of, I really wanted to make this better and I couldn't and it didn't work or it didn't work the way I wanted it to work. Um, yeah, so I wanted to make space for if anybody's had that kind of experience to um, talk about that. I, we, many years ago, did a refugee resettlement work, uh -huh. and there were, um, it was a family that came and there was a 14 year old daughter that was from mm -hmm. that family that wasn't able to come with her family because mm -hmm. of paperwork issues uh -huh. basically and I mean it was horrifying to think of a 14 year old girl on her own in a refugee camp with her separate uh -huh. from her family I mean her mom was doing everything she could to you know mm -hmm. provide her with some resources hook her up with distant relatives that could maybe host her mm -hmm. and this just drug on and on well eventually it boiled down to the fact that her middle name had mis misspelled on a form and uh -huh. Joe Donnelly will have my admiration forever because his office finally got that straightened out. Uh -huh. But by the time she got here, she had been on her own for four years, basically. Uh -huh. He had made an ill-advised marriage, lost a baby, came here, and uh -huh. continues to struggle. I mean, yeah. just last month, I helped her get a uh -huh. ticket to go to back to Liberia to this man who I have many concerns about yeah. but she considers him her fiance and I just think if she had her family's guidance and support mm -hmm. she would not be making terrible decisions yeah. at this point in her life and uh -huh. she's 30 31 now and I just I just was like oh, if I'd only pushed a little harder about you know figuring out what, what the problem was or if I'd only and that's one of those societally optional problems, isn't it? Like we we could have just like, or like the people in charge of immigration could have just decided, oh, a 14-year-old doesn't have the right paperwork. Oh well, she's 14. Let's just wait that, you know. But yeah. Especially from a refugee camp. Right. Her parents are both here. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. One of the things that, that uh, I've experienced is St. James has done shoes for Madison Center and mm -hmm. uh, 
on the times that we have great participation, we get those school shoes on those kids by first nine weeks. Uh -huh. And then there are other times that their school shoes are still putting on in May because we just cannot get a group and maintain a group of fitters. Now, with COVID, uh, we've not been welcome in the schools. Uh -huh. uh, and so that's different. But um, there are times you just want to say, oh, gosh, if everybody would just do once, just mm -hmm. once, uh, and everybody do yeah. just once. So that can be uh, frustrating. Yeah. But at the same time, not everybody is retired. Yeah. And so there's lots of reasons why. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But uh, I guess that's been a frustration. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I know what your, your team is like for burnout. Like, I've done it forever. Mm -hmm. It's somebody else's turn. And that's not true. Right. I, I understand that, too. But yeah, it's like kind of both true and not true. Yeah. <laughs> mm. um, yeah. I'm curious what other people's thoughts on um, this question in the baptismal covenant. Like, what does this mean to you? How have you thought about this? Can we read it one more time? Do you have it on here? Yes, yes. Yeah. Um, Will you seek and serve Christ in all persons, loving your neighbor as yourself? Maybe a little tangential, but we lived in Bangladesh for three years, and there is a sort of a vast population of very poor people, and a certain percentage of those basically make their, their living by begging because uh, run out of what opportunities for just you know disabled people yeah. or for women or for orphan children. And I always that phrase kept going through my mind because they're you know it's an islamic culture and and giving alms mm -hmm. to the poor is part of very much a part of the, the religion there uh -huh. and i always just thought you know giving out money is not it's a drop in the bucket mm -hmm. i mean this is a sponge that could mm -hmm. absorb an infinite amount yeah. of resources uh -huh. and I came to sort of the conclusion that maybe giving alms was not a spiritual practice that was necessarily helping the poor as much as it was helping me to acknowledge the humanity of, of those people who were doing the begging. And I, I thought maybe that's that's something that Islam has right, that, that Christianity may not have developed as much, but... Um, yeah, because it, it was even antithetical to the organization we work on, which happened to be the Midnight Central Committee. But oh, um, yeah, cool. and it was there, no, uh -huh. I mean, and, and rightly so. Their thing yeah. is okay, we develop do sustainable development work, and so that these people, you know, it's right. not yeah. handing uh -huh. out money. It's, uh -huh. it's and so they they kind of discouraged a lot of you know just yeah. giving giving uh -huh. things away. But I, I just that was that phrase was sort of with me the whole yeah. time we lived there. Yeah, um, I think. That's really true. A lot of a lot of people when they're panhandling, like, and this is something I used to do. I used to like it feels so overwhelming, like because you know that giving someone five bucks is not going to change their life in a meaningful way. Um, it's just not. Um, and so it's easier to just be like, I can't fix this. I'm not even going to make eye contact because I feel guilty for not helping them in a substantive way. Um, and I think that's something that's changed as, as didn't change until I was like working in a shelter and new people. And it was like, oh, a lot of people remember them. Like you don't need to, like even 
doing the work that I do, I can't just see someone on the street and be like, oh, I'll get you a house. So like, that's not how it works. The, yeah. the shortest time with, with the wait lists and the like housing resources there are, it's going to be at least three months from when I start working with someone to when I can get them housed. Um, so I can't just do that for someone on the street, but, but even just acknowledging somebody and saying like, hi, how are you? Or even just making eye contact and smiling here. It doesn't fix things for, for one person, but it, it it helps both you and them acknowledge your mutual humanity. I think one of the things I like about the Episcopal prayer book is that we're given the option every night to do our evening prayer and we're given the option to ask forgiveness for how we have failed to serve our neighbor as ourselves and um, that that same thing like we recognize daily that we've tried and we failed in certain circumstances to do that so we have our baptismal covenant at the beginning of the day seek to serve christ in all persons and at the end of the day we say we have not loved our neighbors as ourselves um, and that has also kept me in touch even if i haven't done it saying i haven't done it mm -hmm. Yeah, because it's not like there's any day there are ways we've been able to and ways we haven't been able to, and that's never not going to be the case. <clears throat> Basically, like when I think about this question, it seems like it's asking and answering the question, you know, where is God mm -hmm. at? And, uh, you know, growing up evangelical, I definitely had this idea that you know, there were people, you know, like who had God and who, who didn't have God. And uh, my responsibility as someone who had God was to bring it to someone else. Mm -hmm. And this question and the phrasing, you know, just, you know, uh, denies that sort of framework, you know, God is already there um, and you're not bringing God anywhere. Um, and, you know, I've come to learn that evangelicals aren't the only ones with this problem. Episcopalians have had this problem too. But um, but yeah, I think it's just it it's you know, you you hear the you know, seek and serve Christ in all persons. Uh -huh. And we all know Jesus is God, but it's basically saying, you know, God is in each person. Yes. Um, and uh and respect that. And you know, it, it, I thought you were on at your point about you know, just acknowledging someone who's asking for money. Um it was really profound. Uh, I'll admit when Samantha and I go to, you know, when we're out, uh, Samantha always stops. I'll be like, okay, you know, we're, we're doing a thing, you know, we're going to go do it. Mm -hmm. Samantha's like, oh no, wait, we gotta, do we have any money? Um, and it's, uh, that's, that's helpful for me to have someone who takes a moment to pause and recognize mm -hmm. humanity mm -hmm. where God is. So, yeah. Yeah. Ten oh five. So anyone who has to go, feel free yeah, to um to go. Yeah, but the, yeah, Eliana is done. Yeah. So now you you know um. Yeah. Yeah, sorry, I cut you off. No, that's fine. Um, yeah, mm -hmm. people have, um, it's just so helpful to remember like that we're seeking to serve Christ in, in everybody because 
you know, it's it's not about oh, this is like like yeah, it's exactly it's when we serve other people, like that's it's good for like that is how we encounter God and that's how we encounter Christ. And um that's yeah, it's not people will periodically say things to me like oh wow like <laughs> how do you do that or whatever um and it's like it's it's not a thing that comes into my head because it's just like i i mean i know so many people because the people who i work with who have jobs who work they don't get to pick what they do i get to pick what i do that's like the coolest thing ever to be able to pick what you do every day and to, you know to be able to work with i work with really like the the people i work the people i work for my or our guests are really cool people and often extremely resilient often really kind despite being in terrible situation like there's this one woman one of the most one of the absolutely most mentally ill people we we the guests we've maybe even ever had she has to have a room for herself. Normally, like it's an old motel. So normally people have a roommate. She can't because she's constantly self-harming. She hits herself in the head. She's braced things in her eyes. She has all, she has like voices in her head telling her to do this. Like it's really bad. Um, but every time I see her, she's always like, how are you? And if I, you know, get her like a roll of toilet paper or whatever, she'd be like, thank you so much. And just like, she's just always so nice. Um, despite like having all these terrible things going on inside her mind that are like trying to hurt herself like she's actually decreased her own vision she's legally blind because of how much she's hurt herself and so like to have someone in that situation still be like always like how was your day been is just so she's taking care of you yeah exactly Yeah. yeah exactly and once she was some we share office space sort of so once she had a case manager come and she was the case manager had set up in my office and i was just working on the computer um and the case manager was like asking her uh what do you like about yourself and she like couldn't think of anything for a while she was like i can think of things i like about you like people just don't <laughs> or she couldn't see that about herself Yeah. And so many, yeah, so many people have been so kind to me. Just the other day, there's this man who, like, when you picture a chronically homeless person, you picture someone who looks like the man I'm going to tell the story about. Um, always wearing, like, multiple layers of coat. Um, like, lived under, like, under a trailer on a construction site for, like, at least a year, I think, longer. Mm-hmm. Um, under a trailer at a construction site? Yes. Oh yeah, like one of those elevated things yeah. that they have, like, yeah, an office. Under the bridge is hard enough for me. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. the, my, my, I get so irritated mm-hmm. by this, this community. And unfortunately, I'm aware of other communities where they say, yes, we must do something about our homeless population. Uh-huh. And then the councils will go to work and they'll find a spot and then the neighborhood says, but not in my neighborhood. Yeah. Uh-huh. And that is so frustrating to me. And yeah. I just wonder, they've never offered my neighborhood, um, but I bet my neighborhood would be the same way. Yeah. 
Yeah, most neighborhoods are. But that's so, I mean, when there's, when their buildings already there, yeah. and we just need to, you know. Yeah. Oh, one of the reasons we are where we are is that the mayor has basically told us, um, you can be here or you can be, you can build something on Courage Manor's land, but those are good. You can't be anywhere else. And so then. The Courage Manor? Yeah. Like yeah. if we get way over there. Yeah. Out of the way. Yeah. So um, those are like the options we have. And people have also criticized us a lot for like where we are, the person we're renting this motel. And like, yeah, it's bad. We're totally renting from a slumlord. I'm not trying to downside that at all. But like the, the thing is like, truly we just get so much pushback when we try to move anywhere. Yeah. But it's like, and there are some constraints like our current location is on a bus line. Um, that's really, really important mm -hmm. because people don't have cars um, and often don't have licenses. Um, and you so know, go ahead and, with your band story, I mean, I'm sorry. Oh, I just no, got, not at all. It's a totally conversation. Into a, I, I hadn't heard that yeah, place no. to call her. I know. Um, but yeah, he cut himself on a, like, I, he always comes and gets me to open, like, the can gets, so they get, we have a cold pantry, so they get, we, we have meals delivered twice a day from Hope, but then also we have little pantry items for uh, whatever else we want to eat. And so I, like, opened his can. He cut himself on the lid, as is so easy to do, um, and just bleeding everywhere. And so I was like, oh, put on some gloves, put on some antibiotic ointment. <laughs> it wasn't the best wound dressing job I've ever done. I like took some gauze and taped it on his finger with band-aids and stuff. And he just the whole time, he was just like, God bless you, God bless you. And I was like, this is, you know, like just very minor easy thing to do and and he's just like so kind and he this is how he is all the time like he'll come to my office and be like hey do you have any salt and i'll give him some salt and i'll salt his food he puts it over in a little container um it's just like the people who have you know i'm crabby i eat lunch late <laughs> um but so many people who just um gone through so much are just so really like you know it, it's not it's not one way it's not like i'm helping people and they're just there and also the the love and the care that i see between people there there were um a younger woman probably about 30 and an older man probably about 70 and uh, they're actually both housed now um but the man had um and, and the woman is um doesn't have to see her children doesn't is not able to read she's completely illiterate um didn't have any income uh, she has a security now but um because she had been like a house cleaner and then nobody wanted house players during COVID, so there goes right down. Um, the man has been on the streets for years and years and years, so I get the bridge. He had a medical event, I don't remember specifically what, what happened, but he collapsed. He has a bunch of chronic health conditions, and he was like, no, I'm not going to the hospital, because um, he hasn't always been treated well at the hospital. Like, it's reasonable. It's not coming out of nowhere, but, um, but the woman went and out of her small income bought him Polish sausages, which are his favorite food. And she was like, if you go to the hospital, I'll buy you some Polish sausages. And like, you know, 
she has a lot going on in her life and and she you know didn't even necessarily know him that well but she was just like this man needs to go to the hospital mm. um and i need to get him to go mm. and i'm gonna step up and care for him um um yeah and she saved his life when he's still alive he's actually on hospice now because he does have chronic heart failure um but he probably would not have lived through that like acute episode if she had not convinced him that he should go to the hospital so or there are so many times when people will um a huge number of people have at one point or another been evicted from somewhere because they were letting their friend letting like large numbers of friends stay over who were on the street um and unfortunately we have to try to discourage that because we're trying to keep people housed Mm -hmm. um and we actually have to discourage it at the motel guests are one of the things we're the strictest about like you can't have guests if you don't know about it and you can't have people staying overnight because we have had a few instances where like 99 plus percent of guests are fine but we've had a few cases where um a roommate has been assaulted by their roommate's guest or um we've had a larger number of cases where it turns out that the guest the person has is a drug dealer and then we have like normally whenever we have like a cluster of overdoses it's because there's somebody who we sort of know to be a drug dealer has come on the property and, and like given people drugs from bad batch. So we have to be unfortunately fairly strict about guests. And so in some ways that's quashing a really great impulse that people have. But there's so much hospitality, even when even when that comes at great personal risk and sacrifice. And I just think that's people who have I mean, it's like just like true that people who have nothing just like share a lot more. And I mean, partially out of like goodness, but also partially out of like survival. Like it's, you know, survival through mutual aid. Um, it's not, you know, I don't want to like romanticize them or anything like that. It's, it's that, that people are smart and they know how to, they know how to survive and they know how to like build community in, in ways that, Hopes them meet their needs. Yeah. Well, um, it's 10, just past ten fifteen. Yeah, and, and um, thank you for all the stories, to Eliana. I think that was thank really a humanizing, much. wonderful part of uh, this.